Good morning, Christ City Church. Uh, it's good to be with you this morning. I pray that the Lord be with you right now. Uh, just to make sure everyone knows uh, where, where we're standing right now as Christ City Church, just want to start off by saying Black Lives Matter. And um, that this morning will be different, a little different than what we've uh, done in the past in that I'll, I'll spend a little bit more time on the talk, a little less time on announcements. Um, everyone is no doubt aware uh, that we have experienced over a week and a half of protests around police brutality and the We've also experienced riots and and looting as well all across our country in hundreds and hundreds of cities and towns. I lost track of the count. It's I think it's in the 600s now of cities and towns have, have held protests. And um, four continents uh, on this planet have had public protests related to what's happening here in the United States. And I know for some of us, this has been a wake-up call, and for some of us, like myself, this is um, a continuation of something that uh, we have been living through and striving to see change for a long, long time. And so wherever you are in that continuum, or if you're not on that continuum that I just expressed, I'm glad that you're right here right now with us and I want to say that I, I miss you guys I do miss you a lot and so what we're gonna do uh, this morning is I'm going to answer some questions partially and today we'll have you know a zoom session afterwards like we've been trying to do every once in a while we we're working on kind of a one-off one one-on pattern um, so we'll have some Zoom sessions and uh, for the adults and the kids afterwards, and Matt will post those there in the feed, in the comment section. And um, so if you want to dialogue a little bit further, then, then we'll, we'll hop, hop on around 11.15 or so there. Um, so... I want to address these questions. Uh, the first seems like that the answer is obvious, and, and, and maybe it is to some of you, but um, why? Why are people protesting? Why are there such huge protests and riots and, and looting going on right now? Um, the second question is, what is a Christian response to protest? And that answer uh, can, can vary greatly from the the, tr the Christian tradition that you uh, come from around the world, but I'll I want to answer that for for us in our our time and space and location here in Memphis, Tennessee, and then I want to talk about lastly what are some potential action steps if you're struggling with that. So first. Uh, why why are people protesting? 
and uh, after, after I begin to address this question, we will say the Apostles' Creed together. I'll read some scripture, and we will move into the second question of what is a, a, a Christian response uh, to the situation, to protest and, and those types of things going on. So, George Floyd of New York killed by the police. One of the officers kneeled on his neck, others on his back, for around nine minutes until he died. Brianna Taylor was killed in her apartment. She was an EMT, an essential worker, working to help curb the tide of the pandemic that we're in, the spread of coronavirus, and the police had a no-warrant um, search thing and busted down or whatever that whatever that thing was called and they busted down her door and her boyfriend thought they were being attacked and he shot and the police filled her with eight bullets and Ahmad Arbery uh, there was a, a a man who filmed two other men a father and son who were not police officers father had been in the past um, ran him down in their truck and shot him and killed him. And this is a huge part, these tragically lost lives is a huge part of why people are protesting. Their specific lives lost. There are protest signs all over the country and the world that say things like, I am George Floyd. I'm Ahmaud Arbery. And so while uh, the lives of the individuals is a great propelling force for the protests, there is also a recognition among people all over the world that we share a common humanity. And this is greatly encouraging to me. I've, I've vacillated between so many, so many feelings. And I've been so exhausted uh, through, this, through the, this past week and a half uh, for a number of, of reasons, but, but most of all because of these horrific killings. And yet, it's about much more than the deaths of these three individuals and and others who we've learned about in recent past, the most recent movement, beginning with the deaths of Trayvon Martin and, and Michael Brown, um, both kids who were, who were gunned down, who were killed. It's about them, and it's, it's also about police brutality, but that is an important part of this whole equation, but it's simply a clear view of a small piece of a very deep systemic problem that's festered uh, in our country for 400 plus years. And what I want to do is I just want to spend a few minutes talking about or really reading a few things to you about where the rage and frustration comes from, even if people protesting 
can't articulate it. Maybe it's something you yourself have felt but have struggled to put words to. And I just want to touch on the tip of the iceberg of that. It won't be sufficient and it can't be because each person has to do their own work around this subject, uh, around something that is so crucial and such a linchpin into our country and our Christian expression of our faith um, that has uh, unending implications to, to how we live. But here's what I want to do. I want to paint a, a little bit of a picture for you. I want you to imagine that uh, ev every day when you when you woke up, there were there were signs and indicators and and things pointing to an idea that you were you were not going to make it. You were not going to achieve the American dream. You were not going to find respect and, and, and safety and, and dignity. And um, you wouldn't have to imagine that most likely if you were black. I want you to imagine that you went to school in an environment where you knew there was no way and you had been prepared by your community ahead of time with the things you had heard said. There was, there was no way that education was going to provide you with the necessary skills and understandings to achieve something uh, great in a career. If you're black, you probably wouldn't have to imagine that in most uh, cities and, and um, various environments in our country. I want you to imagine what it would feel like if you were told on social media and through media outlets if you would just do what the police say you would be alright knowing before you had ever become an adult you'd been harassed by the police for just existing, for taking a walk, maybe not even getting out of your house, maybe having a tail light out. If you're black, you probably wouldn't have to imagine those things. And then I, I want you to imagine that you carried within you the crushed hopes and the snuffed out sparks of decades and centuries of attempts to largely peacefully and with sole power try to achieve identity in a country that is hell-bent on telling you you are equal and if you're not you're just whining if, if you think you're not you're just whining and you really have the same opportunities that everybody else does if you're black you don't really have to imagine that and then on top of that I want you to imagine that the people that fought for that equality for you that many of them were murdered and lynched and assassinated and so everywhere you look would be death would be squashed hopes and dreams would be people telling you you're in this situation because of your own poor choices I wonder what that would feel like and then to add to the fuel to the fire a president who sparks divisiveness and who has violent rhetoric toward people who want something that is simply to to live 
to have opportunities to not be harassed by the government, to have access to good housing, good mortgages, not predatory lending, uh, good education opportunities, to get what everyone is telling them that they already have and what they should already be grateful for. If you're black, you might not have to imagine many of those things. I want to read the names of some of those people who preceded the deaths that we are focused on and concentrating on now because as holy as these lost three individuals I named, George Floyd, Breonna Taylor, and Ahmaud Arbery are, and as much children of God as they are, we will move on as a nation. The only reason we're still talking about it is because of the protests as, as a nation. Um, but they are signifiers of these other folks. I want to read some of their names to you now that were involved in the civil rights movement, and some of them were just bystanders. Um, civil rights movement primarily to bring black people into the full rights of citizenship starting in 1955. I'm just going to read a few of them. I have pages and pages of their names, people who were killed um, fighting for uh, equal rights. So on May 7th, 1955, Reverend George Lee, one of the first black people registered to vote in Humphreys County, this is in, in Mississippi, used his pulpit and his printing press to urge others to vote. White officials offered Lee protection on the condition he and he's his voter registration efforts end, but Lee refused and was murdered. August 13, 1955, Lamar Smith was shot dead on the courthouse lawn by a white man in broad daylight while dozens of people watched. The killer was never indicted because no one would admit they saw a white man shoot a black man. Smith had organized blacks to vote in a recent election. August 28, 1955, in Money, Mississippi, Emmett Louise Till, a 14-year-old boy on vacation from Chicago, reportedly flirted with a white woman in a store. Three nights later, two men took Till from his bed, beat him, shot him, and dumped his body in the Tallahatchie River. An all-white jury found the man innocent of murder. Footnote of that, the woman who reported that he winked at her and whistled um, recanted on her deathbed and said it was all a lie and made up. October 22, 1955, John Earl Reese, 16, 16 years old, was dancing in a cafe when white men fired shots into the windows. Reese was killed and two others were wounded. The shootings were part of an attempt by whites to terrorize blacks into giving up plans for a new school. January 23, 1957, Willie Edwards Jr., a truck driver, was on his way to work when he was stopped by four Klansmen. The men mistook Edwards for another man who they believed was dating a white woman. They forced Edwards at gunpoint to jump off a bridge into the Alabama River. Edwards' body was found three months later. April 25, 1959, Poplarville, Mississippi. Mac Charles Parker, 23, was accused of raping a white woman. Three days before his case was set for trial, a mass mob took him from his jail cell, beat him, shot him, and threw him in the Pearl River. 1961. September 25th in Liberty, Mississippi, Herbert Lee, who worked with civil rights leader 
Bob Moses, to help register black voters, was killed by a state legislator who claimed self-defense and was never arrested. Lewis Allen, a black man who witnessed the murder, was later also killed. Um, these are just a few of the names just for the first couple of years of the civil rights movement, which continued on into uh, the 70s. I'll read a couple more from another year, 1963. William Lewis Moore, a postman from Baltimore, was shot and killed during a one-man march against segregation. Moore had planned to deliver a letter to the governor of Mississippi urging an end to intolerance. He was a white man. June 12, 1963, Medgar Evers, who directed the NAACP operations in Mississippi, was leading a campaign for integration in Jackson when he was shot and killed by a sniper at his home. In June 21, 1964, James Earl Chaney, Andrew Goodman, and Michael Henry Schwainer, young civil rights workers, were arrested by a deputy sheriff and then released into the hands of Klansmen who had plotted their murders. They were shot and their bodies were burned in an earthen dam. These names and stories go on and on and on. And that generational trauma lives in the blood and the veins of our black community. And this constant fear of death for asserting one's rights uh, found its main pinnacle in the act of lynching, which over 4,000 people in the United States, almost all black men, women, and children suffered, living under the constant terror of just trying to be a human being, trying to exist with the rights that a human being deserves and which this country espouses to give and which as Christians we espouse and we champion and believe that all people are made in the image of God. So. Um, to bring things a little closer to home, I want to give you a few facts about Memphis right now um, to know about some of the local rage here. Uh, the current city of Memphis's uh, budget has police funding making up over 40% of it. Housing and community development make up less than 1% of the budget. This year, the police budget is increasing by $9 million. Library funding is being cut by 65%. Community initiatives for nonprofits are being cut by 94%. So we have an increase in spending for policing uh, our community, but not for educating or assisting our community in any meaningful way. The entire budget of the Family Safety Center has been cut, but the city is allotting $98,000 for catering. You add this up with the mass incarceration of, of people of color and the disparate uh, sentencing issues for the same things for black and white people, stop and frisk policies, redlining, predatory lending, the lists go on and on and on and on.
when I see the protests going on, I feel some hope. But I have been sitting with these things, knowing first intuitively, and then beginning my research 16, 17 years ago, and becoming so rageful and angry and knowing how many people live this life just trying to survive. This is why people protest. This is why protest is going on. This is why riots are going on. And this is why looting is going on. James Baldwin, one of my teachers uh, of many things, one of the greatest intellectual minds I think this country has ever produced. In a short speech, he addressed this when he said, when you try to stand up and look the world in the face like you had a right to be here, and when you do that without knowing that this is the result of it, you have attacked the entire power structure of the Western world. He says this speaking of, 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 of black people. So in our, in our country, we have had a caste system and we have failed to acknowledge that. And that caste system still functionally exists under some of the things that I have just outlined for you. And I know I'm speaking to my congregation who I love, who are very beloved to me, and that most of you are white. And what I am not trying to do is just make you feel guilty for being white. But I am trying to sketch the outline of the rage and the anger that is felt by black people and other people of color. And I'm so encouraged because I know some of you have been out there protesting. And many of you have been active in your voices on social media and other places and other ways. But I do not want this moment to fade without taking the opportunity to say there is so much more going on here. And so that brings us to our second question of what is the Christian response. And as we head into that time, I want to read a scripture. But before that, I want us to recite the Apostles' Creed together because we are a faith community of believers who are tied to believers all over the world of every nationality and age, gender, ethnicity, and race. And I want us to remember that as we continue this discussion. So the Apostles' Creed, and it's posted as well in the Facebook Live notes there. Christian, what do you believe? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. He was conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit and born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. He descended to the dead. On the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. 
Amen. Now let us hear the word of the Lord. I'm going to read to you two passages. One from the lectionary reading today, Matthew 28, verses 16 through 20. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. And now, from Luke 4, starting in verse 16, in ending in verse 19. Jesus, he, went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom. He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom of the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So, um, how does how did the protests fit into the Christian faith? These these two scriptures offer us a lot of context. First, um, in Matthew twenty eight, we see the last address that Jesus has with his disciples uh, before he bodily leaves them, and. He tells them to go and make disciples of every nation, every kind of person that there is, and teach them what I've taught you. Uh, I've, been, I've been through programs and classes where discipleship has been taught and espoused, and I cannot recall ever a time where this discipleship was ever connected with the first sermon that Jesus ever gave, which I read to you from Luke 4, that the coming, the inauguration of the kingdom of God was one where Jesus himself took the scroll of Isaiah and he said, I am here to fulfill this. It is fulfilled in your hearing, he says, to set the oppressed free, to loose the prisoners. And I wonder, have, if you've experienced Christian discipleship, have you experienced discipleship that emphasizes this in the life of Jesus? Have you been brought into a kingdom where Christ is present anywhere that oppression needs to be dealt with? Sadly, I think for, for much of, of, of the demographic of our church, for white evangelicalism, the answer would be no. That the discipleship that we have encountered is one of head knowledge 
It's one of teaching you how to make converts and live a personally moral life. But that's not what Luke 4 speaks of. That's not what Jesus' teachings in the Beatitude are mainly concerned with. That is not what the teachings in the Sermon on the Mount consist of. So when I look at Luke 4 and I think about that in terms of the instructions that uh, Jesus was leaving with his disciples, it gives me a different picture of discipleship. It gives me a picture of a discipleship that by its very nature is one of protest. Protest to the powers and principalities that be, not a marriage with them. All too often, American Christianity has been seduced and has been partnered and specifically white evangelicalism in which our church belongs to has been connected with and seduced by power. And this is something to lament. And there is an appropriate amount of shame that one could feel about this. And so my question is, in this moment when many of us are waking up to certain realities, is what will look different from this point forward? Because when I read Luke 4, I read scriptures that sound like protest. To proclaim good news to the poor. What is this good news? That prisoners will be free and that those who are blind will get sight and that the oppressed will be set free to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. The year of the Lord's favor. That brings us back to Leviticus 25 where the Israelites were to practice at the end of the 50th year the return of all land that had been rightfully or wrongfully possessed by someone else to accumulate mass amounts of wealth. This is what Jesus says that he came to bring. I, this became, this, this thought crystallized for me in the sea of comments on social media when I heard or I read a man ask, where is Christ in the protests? That's what he said. Where is Christ there? He was saying on someone's comment page. And quickly my mind went to this verse, these verses in Luke 4, and also in Luke 25, when Jesus says he separated people into categories of sheep and goats, and he says to the ones, you righteous ones, come with me into eternity. Because when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was naked, you clothed me. And they said, Sir, when did we see you hungry and thirsty and naked? And he said, When you, have, when you did this to the least of the brothers and sisters, you did it unto me. And to me, that was the immediate thoughts that came into my mind when I read that man's question, Where is Christ? in the protests. He is on every face, every person in anguish, every person who has been oppressed and marginalized 
and told to shut up and quit whining because you have everything that you need. And so there is an opportunity here for our church and hopefully other churches to reassess what they have meant by the gospel. I personally have endured many, many conversations where people were calling me all manner of things and insinuating things about me simply for standing for this idea that is clearly manifest in the words of Christ. And so have others. And we can see many people are done trying to have conversations without doing actions. And I know that many of you are there. And I'm more speaking to encourage you and inspire you than anything else, our congregation. And if, you, if there are people that you want to share this video with, we're working on another video project specifically to help address these things for you all to be able to share and for us to um, be able to give those things out um, publicly as well. So when we consider that uh, idea that perhaps Christ is, is in these protests in these ways that I just outlined and that maybe discipleship should look different for us and that protest is a natural outpouring of the teachings and the life of Christ and our Christian tradition. What comes next? Are you saying, Jamin, that you advocate, ad, uh, that you are an advocate of protesting? And the answer is absolutely yes. Um, a a man named Thomas Merton, and I'm I'm coming to the closure here. A man named uh, Thomas Merton, who's a, a monk. Um, who, who many American Christians enjoy his um, contemplative writings, also wrote on protest and peaceful protest. And as we segue into this last part, I want to read you what, what he has to say about the nature of Christian protest in particular. What are the attributes of it? I'm just going to read a small excerpt uh, from a paper he wrote called The Roots of Christian Nonviolence. He says, Christian nonviolence is not built on a presupposed division, but on the basic unity of man. I am George Floyd. I am Trayvon Martin. I am every one of those people. It is not out of the conversion of the wicked to the good ideas of the good, but for the healing and reconciliation of man with himself, man the person and man the human family. This is the absolute jewel that our faith contains. Our faith is not the only one that contains this idea, this theological concept, but it is present in the kingdom of heaven, in the outpouring of Jesus's ministry, that every person's life is 
it matters. And if one of us cannot breathe, then none of us can. So what are some of the practical steps? And we'll hop on Zoom after this for those of you who, who have the, the time and the uh, wherewithal to be able to do that. But um, what does this Christian protest look like on a regular basis? So it, it looks like protesting out in the streets for those of us who are, are able to do that. Everybody can't do that right now for different reasons, but those of us who can, it's, it's a great idea. It looks like becoming more politically informed, um, looking at city council meetings when they're live streamed to, to get up to date on, on what's at stake, what's being passed, what's happening. The county commission, read minority magazines like the Tri-State Defender so you can hear from people who are being hurt and harmed by the policies that are being enacted and you can do something about that. You can protest. Um, you can read and educate yourself. Uh, I haven't been able to get back to all the people who have texted me in the past week and a half, but I can tell you very, very simple Google searches can be very, very fruitful if there's a topic you're trying to read about. Um, it's, 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 it's pretty easy nowadays to do that, and there's t lots of lists being made, made right now um, every day generated about reading lists. Uh, listen listen to, to black voices that do not affirm what you already believe and understand about the world, but challenge those things. Uh, it's very frustrating I see when I see, anyway, that we don't have time for that right now. Um, uh, vote, I mean, uh, donate money to the bailout fund for, for protesters who are uh, doing uh, nonviolent protests and things like that. There'll be, be more stuff to come. And, and many of you have, have written on Facebook and, and that, you know, that helps some people um, to, to do that. But I caution you to get wrapped up in using all of your free time on Facebook when there are, there are, uh, there are some other ways to, to proceed. And uh, when our church has mercy and justice events, come to those, support those, um, donate to those. I know that in this, uh, in this meeting we've had, I have not addressed, I, have, I haven't really specifically addressed the, the other uh, needs with the pandemic and those type of things, but I, I wanted to make sure to uh, focus on this topic this morning and, and we'll continue to ask people to reach out in our congregation if you have needs and also um, if, you, if you have the wherewithal uh, if you're still in good financial standings, of course, to continue to give, and if you'd like to continue to give to the, the Benevolence Fund. So, um, Christ City, I, I, uh, I love you guys. I, thank you for, for hanging with me throughout this. I know it was a little bit longer than normal, and it was, um, it was a little in, intense of a topic, uh, but I know you're here for it. So um, we will we'll continue on Zoom in a few minutes for those of you who want to dialogue some more. I pray that the peace of the Lord is with you, and please reach out to us at elders at ChristCityMemphis.org if you have any needs, whether they be material or uh, mental or emotional or, or what have you. So I love you guys.